We are live. I am back in the driver's seat, folks. Fear no more. Jim is uh, second chair now. So I want to. I want. <laughs> I want to ask I want to ask this question. I want to ponder this question during this week's episode. Why is it that all of the climate change solutions coming from anyone of consequence on the left are terrible? Just just terrible. From the over-reliance on wind and solar to destroying our agricultural sectors, uh, they never seem to run out of terrible ideas, and I want to talk about that. Also, a new report from the World Economic Forum seems to bolster the globalist claim that in the future you will own nothing. We're going to be talking about that and more on episode 356 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me today, as I already mentioned, I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Uh, I'm in a bad mood, so that's Uh-oh. my safe space. So uh, I feel better today. So that's good news for all of the all the listeners who love it when I'm kind of grumpy. Uh, today's going to be your day. Sweet. So, so standard. Standard Jim we've got here. Uh, yeah. Also joining us, Chris Talgo, Senior Editor at the Heartland Institute. How are you today, good sir? Doing pretty good. So I'm going to try to balance out uh, Jim's uh, uh, bad mood. All right. So uh, he's a grumpus and you're in a good mood. Good, 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 good. I don't think the power of your good mood is strong enough to overtake my bad mood, Chris, but we'll Uh, see, I guess, in the next hour. I'll give it my best shot. All right. We'll see what happens. Um, So we got a lot to get into, a lot of stuff to talk about, folks. Uh, But before we do, I want to put that word out there to our audio-only listeners that are probably catching this show on a Friday or maybe over the weekend. You can join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time live. Uh, You can find us streaming on Facebook and Rumble and YouTube and Twitter or However you want to consume this media and join the conversation, you can throw your comments and questions and little feeds there. We see them. Maybe we'll show them on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. And then also as a reminder uh, to some folks that don't know, we have a separate channel on YouTube just for this show in the Tank Podcast channel. We did this because YouTube threatened to destroy our main channel because of some of the controversial things we talked about on this show. So if there is a controversial topic that we're going to touch on, we might only air it on that In the Tank podcast channel on YouTube uh, in an effort to protect our main channel, but also not censor ourselves. Um, So support free speech and subscribe there as well. (laughs) Anyways, folks, got a lot to talk about, so I want to jump right into it. But we first have to talk about, other than the, the scripted items that I have here, or the, uh, the, the planned items that we've got here, we just got new GDP data just dropped this morning. The numbers came in, and it shows the U.S. economy shrank during the past quarter by 0.9%. In the article I read, it attributed this drop to uh, slowing consumer spending and reduced business investment. This is the second quarter in a row where the GDP shrank. The first quarter of 2022 saw a 1.6% drop. So two consecutive quarters of shrinking GDP usually means that we're in a a recession, right? Not so fast, you deplorable insurrectionists. According to the Biden administration, this doesn't necessarily mean we're in a recession. So, Chris, you wrote about this topic uh, of the Biden administration redefining the term recession in a piece published by the Washington Times. Do you care to walk us through this a little bit? Yeah, so it's actually pretty simple. In 1974, an economist in the New York Times, Julius uh, Shulskin, I'm not sure I'm getting his last name pronounced correctly, but regardless, so he came up with the uh, the common uh, definition of recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. That has been the commonly accepted definition for close to 50 years now. And many of the White House uh, officials who are now saying, actually, that's not the definition of recession. In 2008, 2009, when we were in our last like real recession, not the COVID created recession, did exactly say that two co- two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth was a, a recession. 
So they are trying to redefine uh, the definition of a recession. It's not working. Uh, you know, the, the, the American people, uh, they understand that the economy is really, really, you know, uh, on, on, you know, uh, not good footing right now. Um, when I was writing that article, I, I looked at, you know, several different polls where it, anywhere from 60 to 90 percent of the American people say that we are already in a recession. Yeah. So they can they can try their best to play word games here and to parse whether or not uh, two consecutive quarters of uh, negative GDP growth are recession or not. But hey, guess what? American people know that we're, we are already in a recession. Jim, you wanna you wanna add on add on any comments you got on the the newest GDP numbers here? Yeah, I mean, and this is why I'm in a bad mood. Not necessarily because we are in a recession. It's the gaslighting, the gaslighting by our media. I just can't stand it anymore. Saying that this is not a recession. Literally, the word went out from the White House for the last month. They've been saying, you know what, you know, a recession technically isn't uh, isn't two consecutive quarters of negative uh, GDP. It's uh, all these other factors involved. And as Chris pointed out, going back. 50 years. In fact, the very last 10 recessions that we had, I think if you go back 40 years or 35 years, you can see the last 10 recessions. Every single one of them was called a recession after two negative uh, GDP growth quarters in a row by all media. And so suddenly the White House puts out word to their uh, to their stenographers and the propaganda arm of our of our corrupt corporate media. And suddenly today and yesterday and, and all week and certainly on the Sunday shows, you're going to hear people say that this is not really a, a recession. Even even Fox News had a Chiron up on the bottom of their screen <laughs> saying that, that, you know, negative that a second consecutive quarter signals a recession. Oh, yeah. so, dude, it's not signaling a recession. It is a freaking recession. And yeah, uh, polls show that people, most Americans think we are in one because we are in one. And all the economic news that the, the economy that they feel and experience every single day is miserable. We've got, you know, uh, we've got inflation at a 40 year high. Groceries for most of the things people buy at the grocery store is up at least 20 percent. Uh, you know, on, on, on a, some some items are up 35 percent. Or forty percent over last year. People know this stuff. Gas record or gas gasoline prices still at record highs, um, you know. And then we have climate change radicals. Now we're going to get talking to this a little bit here uh, later with Joe Manchin, you know. But the climate change radicals are getting their way in governments all across the world, uh, you know, while you know destroying reliable energy, making lives just more miserable for all of their all the citizens and the poor people who have to live in there. And then again. Uh, Joe Manchin yesterday announced that he is going to support building uh, back Bolshevik light for us. Oh, oh. Uh, but, we'll get to yeah, that. we're going to that. get to that. But you know, so, so but if you and I have this statement which I want to read from, but it's like, yeah, that's kind of why I'm back to my normal bad mood because uh, most of it is just the gaslighting. It's like, look, we can accept bad news. Just just stop lying to us and having us. Right. You know, the, the definition really of tyranny and, and people who lived in the Soviet Union. Uh, would say that, you know, it's not the lies. It's, it's, you know, you're being lied to, but being told to basically accept those lies and to repeat those lies as if they are the truth. That is the sign of a, of a government or a society that has complete control of its people. And I refuse to freaking participate in that, that kind of stuff. Uh, so, the gaslighting, I just can't take it. Uh, so, and, so, uh, well, one one second, Chris, uh, and, sure. and maybe maybe the the people that are listening, the commenters, can help me out here because by my count, this is the third in this administration, uh, the third time that we've got a redefinition of a term, uh, packing the court, which was once the <laughs> idea of just installing justices into the, uh, more justices to the Supreme Court, going from nine to fifteen or twenty five or whatever they want to do, but now uh, you know politicians like Nancy Pelosi are using that term to suggest uh, for it to mean like Trump putting conservative justices in vacant spots. That's right. packing the court now. Vaccines, which was once a term for a substance mm -hmm. that would result in immunity against a virus or disease. Now, though, uh, it means substance that would increase resistance to a virus or disease. And now we have recession. So is there any more? Are there any other ones of uh, redefining terms? Yeah, uh, that yeah we have? You're, forgetting, you're forgetting a real big one. Woman. Uh -oh. Woman. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> No, you're yeah, right. Right. You're right. Um, but Danny, yeah, one other quick thing on the uh, the recession front. So uh, the White House and uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and a bunch of, you know, the uh, White House uh, economic officials, Brian Deese and such, they keep making hay out of, well, unemployment is only 3.6%. But I would say back to that, 
The liberal participation rate is 62.2% and it's been dropping in recent months. Before mm. the pandemic, it was up over 63.5%. When you take all the American people that have not gotten back into the labor force because of the uh, COVID shutdowns and all the money that was sent to people, we are still, uh, we are, the U.S. economy still has 11.4 million open jobs. Yeah. So they keep, they keep harping on, well, the labor market is in such, you know, great shape. And I'm, and I'm, you know, everywhere I go, it, 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 it seems like that is not the case whatsoever because everywhere I go, whether it's a restaurant, a grocery store, uh, anywhere, a retail shop, they are desperate for employees. They cannot get enough employees. So for the White House to come out and say, oh, don't worry about a recession because our labor market is the greatest it's ever been in the history of labor markets. Uh, that is completely not true. And like Jim said, this is gaslighting on on such an extreme that it, it, it just it, it begs the question of like what what where, where else what, like what can they do next? What if I, the third quarter comes in a, another negative, you know, GDP number? Are they just going to say, well, three consecutive quarters doesn't matter either? It's like, yeah, sure. they, yeah exactly. That is what they're going to do, Chris. That is what they that's what they do. I mean, we had the best mm -hmm. economy. Anybody listening to this podcast ever experienced was in between basically 2017 and 2019 before COVID hit. That was the best economic uh, experience anyone really has ever had, um, <laughs> maybe since, you know, since the 80s. But like, you know, half the half the population is under the age of 50. So definitely it was the best economy they ever experienced. And what did our our corrupt garbage yeah. media do they downplayed every good thing uh you know oh well uh you know people are employed but wages aren't growing well okay now wages are growing well you know it's not uh uh you know minorities are not actually experiencing good uh you know jobs situations well actually the black unemployment rate is the mm -hmm. lowest ever you know and they just kept downplaying it all the time all the time and then of course you know everything you know went to hell with the uh, coronavirus but you know but, and then this actually reminds me, was it during the Obama administration where we started to get that term fun employment? Oh, you know, pe people are actually they're out of work, but, you know, it's actually good. They, they this is they're trying to have fun now, you know. So, you know, our, our corrupt media, I just can't, you know, we, uh, I, maybe I should just do a whole podcast just on that, just dedicated to media oh, bias yeah. and right. what makes me angry because uh, and I'll just call <laughs> just, it Jim Rant podcast. That's all it that is. That should just be like every Monday. Every yeah. Monday is just a reoccurring, <laughs> well, a reoccurring I, I, show. I wouldn't want to get it out of my system. I want to save it for Thursdays. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. I mean, and I hate to do this. I hate to do this because you, you could say this about pretty much anything. But can you imagine if the Trump administration tried pulling this type of crap? Oh, oh no, God, it's yeah. not a recession. No, no, no. They would be he would be ridiculed from Saturday Night Live uh, sketch uh, opening sketch all the way to the Sunday special shows on every channel and everything in between. But they, because they, would, they, would, they would say Trump lying about this puts our democracy at risk is exactly <laughs> what they would actually. Of course. Say. Right. Right. It's threatening people's livelihoods. Well, don't expect the economy to rebound anytime soon. Uh, the main reason being the reinvigorated push to destroy the economy in the name of protecting humanity from the dangers of climate change. So I've got a handful of stories that highlight the absolute absurdity of the climate alarmist types. And this is this is nothing new, but I've got a couple more got a couple more uh, pieces of evidence uh, to to solidify that point there. So let's start off with Europe. We'll, we'll consider Europe kind of the canaries in the climate alarmist coal mine. So as we know, Europe is several steps ahead of us in the race to ruin their economy in the name of fighting climate change. From their uh, over-dependence on renewable energy and their moves to shut down any reliable energy sources, it's left them incredibly vulnerable and dependent on others. And this vulnerability has been exacerbated by the war going on in uh Europe, or sorry, uh, Ukraine and and Russia. So I've got this article. This one's not in the show notes, Andy. Sorry, it's a new one here. This is a CNN article. It was just released, I think, last night. U.S. officials say biggest fear has come true as Russia cuts gas supplies to Europe. So the article starts off, on Monday, Russia's state-owned gas company, Gazprom, said it would cut flows through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany in half to just 20% of its capacity. So this uh, this move has left Europe and the U.S. scrambling because energy is a global market and massive price hikes in Europe may send ripples across the, the, you know, the ocean to the U.S. The article says the U.S. and Brussels has been pleading with the European Union members to save gas and store it for winter. And on Tuesday, energy ministers agreed in principle to cut gas use by 15% from August to March. 
There will also uh, be discussions in the coming days about increasing nuclear power production across Europe to offset gas shortages, officials said. Germany was planning to completely phase out its use of nuclear power by the end of 2022. But U.S. officials are hoping to convince Berlin to extend the life of three remaining nuclear power plants amid the energy crisis, an official said. U.S. officials who have uh, been in close touch in particular with German and French officials on this topic are extremely concerned that Europe might face a serious gas shortage going into winter. That is because European Union countries will struggle to fill their reserves over the next few months with the Nord Stream 1 providing only a fraction of its capacity. So you know what like natural gas shortages during winter means? Let's, let's be very blunt here. It means people freezing to death. That's what that means. So, Jim, I mean, I feel like we're beating a dead horse when we talk about this topic. Um, I, I mean, how can our world leaders be so stupid? <laughs> like the geopolitical situation in Europe has been tenuous at best for decades. Why would European countries make moves to be so dependent on them for energy? And why, during a war with Russia, would Germany continue to move forward with shutting down its nuclear power plants? Like, are they just that detached from reality? What's your take? Because the grand plan is to diminish the, well, diminish the lives of uh, we subjects, not citizens, not free people, but the subjects of the people that live in these countries. Look, uh, you know, the, this was the most predictable thing possible. It, the idea that that uh, Vladimir Putin wasn't going to use the gas, the natural gas that he supplies to much of Europe as leverage, that he was just going to give that up and just make sure everything is, is uh, flowing smoothly again, is was you don't even have to be that smart to figure that out. Of course, he wouldn't give up that leverage. And he's going to continue to keep, he now has control. Let's let's be honest about this. Vladimir Putin basically now controls Europe. He might as well have invaded all the way to, to Portugal at this point, because he's going to control the energy consumption of uh, all of Western Europe. Uh, this is something that even the old Soviet days, they wouldn't have imagined doing. You know, we stopped them at, uh, at the East German border. Uh, uh, you know, and that was that they could have everything there. The Iron Curtain had a border it had a boundary and it was not going to get any bigger. Uh, but, you know, Vladimir Putin now, because because of these dumb, really dumb uh, energy policies in these European countries and increasingly here in the United States, uh, countries like like Russia and uh, countries like China are now going to control the energy of the entire globe. You know, if you don't, you know, we have enough energy. We've said this on this podcast a million times. We have enough energy underneath our feet here in the United States to power our economy. If we just shut off from it, the rest of the world, we could power ourselves for 300 years minimum on just what's underneath our feet. And we'd refuse to go get it. You know, we we, we just want to leave it in the ground while China and India continue to build coal, coal plants, which is, you know, they're dirtier, but they're the cheapest form of energy that we have. And, uh, you know, it's to, to so-called save the planet. So you have to, at some point, you know, start paying more attention to what the World Economic Forum says and does in these conferences that they do and take them seriously. And they are seriously wanting to diminish. Frankly, they talk about population control. Uh, you know, how how vigorous uh, and how vibrant can a society be when they are, you know, shivering to death, uh, when they don't have enough energy to power, uh, to, to heat their homes, they don't have enough electricity to put all their plug in cars. You know, these the WEF crowd, they have to know. I mean, let's just say that, too. They know that this stuff won't work. They don't want it to work. They want us all to be smaller, diminished and miserable because then we're easy to control. They want us to live the lives as to live our lives the way they see fit, not the way we see fit. And the fastest way to get that accomplished is by controlling energy and creating artificial scarcity, which is what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's just wild. I mean, like, I, I understand the Al Gore's of the world and the, the Angela Merkel's of the world trying to push forward with this thing, even though they're seeing the consequences right in their face. But like, I just wonder, like the populations that are sitting there seeing this, too. Are they just so buying in to the narrative that they're like, yeah, we're OK with this, too? I don't know. Anything to add to this, Chris? Yeah, I think you raise a good point. I think that the uh, the populations of uh, Western European countries and increasingly in the United States, they are buying onto this, you know, ideological fervor. And what's you know so sad is that they are actually like dooming themselves because they're voting for the, these people, like Angela Merkel, you know, who is uh, Prime Minister of Germany for you know several terms, 
and uh, Joe Biden, you know, president of the United States, who said on the campaign trail in, you know, 2019, 2020, I'm going to end fossil fuels. That alone should have made Joe Biden, you know, ineligible for, you know, the, the presidency because <laughs> right. ju- just because the, the, the people should have said, are you crazy? Are you insane? How are we going to power our economy? So, you know, this has been a long time coming. And unfortunately, I think a lot of, uh, you know, the voters have bought into this stuff. So it's, you know, it, it it's, it's one thing for the elites to push it, but it's, but it's another thing for the voters to uh, put those elites into positions of power where they can implement these policies. So I think it's a two way street here. Yeah, yeah no, it, the populations of both the United States and Europe have been have been sold. They've, they've been convinced, I think that's what Chris was saying, that we can actually get to a green energy future, that we can actually replace coal plants with wind with wind farms and solar panels. But we can't. I mean, it's just not freaking possible. It isn't. How many times do we have to say it? We, right. we bring the proof on this podcast all the time, but people believe it. And so, you know, it's but reality is going to hit them in the face when like in Germany, when they can't heat their homes in the winter. When, right. when when we have I have I have lived well, I'm 51 years old. I we got notice no matter where you live in the United States, you were getting notified that there could be rolling blackouts at any time this summer, depending on, on power surges. That has never happened before. I've never lived in a place where that I was, don't remember that, that, that ever being warning, the case ever. And never. now it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you live in Texas where they're, you know, they they put in so much wind that it's not reliable anymore or California, places like that. It doesn't matter where you live. You're getting notices that we could have rolling blackouts at any time with no warning. Uh, yeah. So, you know, buy those diesel generators. You're going to need them. Yeah, I was down south and we had uh, average 100 degree days for the entire week that I was down um, in Texas. I think they've been having like almost three weeks of straight 100 degree days. And and thankfully up here in Chicago land area, we've got like 80 degree days. So it's it's been pre- thankfully it's been pretty mild up here. Well, and, 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 and Donnie, I, I think I mentioned this in, in the past. Um, I get a monthly report from Commonwealth Edison about my energy usage and it's got uh, you're, you're too much, you're, you're, uh, you know, your average, or you are, you know, doing great. And yeah. it's all, it's all based on the amount of energy you use sure. compared to your neighbors. And, uh, I, you know, almost every month I'm, 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 you know, getting a frown face because they're saying <laughs> you should be using less energy. And they have these suggestions like, Hey, why don't you just set your thermostat to 80 degrees in the summer? Well, yeah. you know what? I mean, that's just not really going to happen. So, <laughs> it, so, you know, it's, it's, it, it's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I I think, Jim, you mentioned it, but yeah, you're right. Like the the less answer to those questions that I posed to you would be, well, we do need to be self-sufficient, but the only way we can get there safely is if we build more renewable energy. And for those audio only listeners, every time I say renewable energy, I'm going to have the air quotes because it's it's really not renewable energy. Anyways, so let's see. Clean coal. So let's see how that's working out for them. So I've got a uh, article here, Bloomberg. European power jumps as low wind is exacerbating energy crisis. Oh my gosh, the wind's not blowing. Better t- better turn the TV off, as Trump <laughs> somewhat said or something in the past. So the article is a couple weeks old, but it conveys info on trends that never run out of style. So from the UK to Germany, which is uh, the region's biggest wind power uh, capacity, Europe has been hit with extended periods of, uh uh-oh, calm weather, which means no wind. And this is resulting in massive increases in the country's energy prices. So reading from the article, it says, the day ahead price in Britain soared 26% uh, to trade at its highest since early March. While the German contract gained 3.2%, both markets rely heavily on wind to meet their increasing consumption. So, you know, perhaps we need more solar. Yeah, that's that's the solution. That'll solve our problems. Well, here's a new wrinkle about the idea of solar panels that I don't think I've ever heard about. I, I don't think I've ever heard about this. Jim, maybe, maybe you have. You've been in this uh, field a little bit longer than I have. But this is a Fortune article titled there's such a thing as too much sun for solar panels and Europe's solar industry is starting to buckle. So reading from the article, it says, but while solar panels feed on sunlight, Europe is in the grips of record breaking heat wave and extreme heat is no friend to solar energy producers. High temperatures have sent electricity demand in Europe soaring and combined with an ongoing shortage of natural gas, on the continent since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, renewable energy sources such as solar have to step up. 
But if temperatures remain elevated for long, it might actually risk slowing down solar energy's output. Solar panels around the world are manufactured and tested to function optimally at around 77 degrees or 25 degrees Celsius, and the range in which most solar panels can still operate at peak efficiency is between 15 degrees Celsius and 35 degrees Celsius. Any hotter, and utility and installation companies warn that a panel's efficiency starts dropping fast. Depending on where a solar panel is insulated, uh, installed, sorry, high temperatures can reduce its electricity output efficiency by anywhere from 10 to 25%, according to CED Green Tech, a leading solar panel equipment supplier in the United States. So, I mean, this well, would guys, be this would be comical if it wasn't so serious. Hmm. So let's just get this straight by climate alarmist logic, and then I'll go to you, Chris. Sure. The planet is getting unlivably hot, and their solution is to build a bunch of energy sources that don't fare well in the heat. Chris, can we get any more ludicrous than this? <laughs> uh, well, I'm still trying to process the fact that they keep saying that climate change is leading to more hurricanes and more tornadoes, but it's also leading to less wind in Europe. I mean, that doesn't really make much sense. So I'm I, I'm still stuck on that point. But yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, you're right. You know what? Uh, Europe does not have the infrastructure in place to power its grid based on solar panel and wind power. That's obvious. You know, they've gone and shut down most of their coal fired power plants. And uh, places like Germany have, you know, prematurely uh, shuttered their nuclear power plants. And they did so after Fukushima, although last time I checked, Germany is basically a landlocked country. They don't have to worry about tsunamis, you know, impacting their nuclear reactors. But once again, you know, that's that's science for you. So, yeah, I mean, Donnie, no, Donnie, it's, it, 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 to me, it's, it, it's extremely sad because. Uh, you know, Europe is doing this to itself. They are shooting themselves in the foot and then they are on, uh, and then they are uh, relying upon Vladimir Putin of all people to uh, increase their gas. But I, I see a correlation and a parallel between that and the United States, because we are cutting off our own energy supply and we're going and begging dictators and, you know, rogue regimes in Venezuela and Iran and Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia saying, please, 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 can you increase uh, uh, energy uh, 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 production so we can right. buy your less clean energy? It's just it makes no sense. It's just ludicrous. Yeah, no, it's it's unbelievable. But, Jim, have you heard about that? The, the idea that like. <laughs> You know, over 80 degrees or whatever, and solar panels stop working very well. <laughs> no, that that was new. But why? I mean, why should we actually be surprised? I mean, the uh, I mean, the, the surprising thing is that they would actually report it, you know, yeah. uh, because, you know, like one of our listeners, our viewers here on YouTube today said that he prefers to. <laughs> uh call it renewable energy versus reliable energy and i think no that's doubt. that's right uh you know traditional energy reliable energy it's basically energy that works i mean the 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 wind turbines not spinning anymore in germany that actually happens quite often you know seasonally it's windier than than you know say in the in the spring or in the fall than it is in the summer uh, so you know the thing about if 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 our global elites were actually serious about uh, protecting the environment and encouraging, um, you know, and, and still being having us able to live our lifestyles, um, you know, have a high standard of living, which means living longer and, you know, advancing medicine and all of this stuff, they would have they would have all converted to nuclear or natural gas a uh, long right. time ago. I mean, we. Donald Trump got us out of the Paris climate uh, agreement and we were still leading the world, the industrialized world on reducing our carbon dioxide emissions. If you care about that, I don't, but you know, that was the metric they were using and we were beating all of our uh, competitors in the Western world on that. Why? Because we converted a lot of coal plants to natural gas because natural gas was, was cheaper and also cleaner. But um, instead of congratulating us and emulating that around the world, they, they, they decided to go to wind and solar. And again, uh, a wind turbine is a fantastic device for killing birds and bats. It yeah. is not very good at producing energy, and it's extremely unreliable, even at peak efficiency. If if you could magically make the wind blow the exact uh, speed to maximize the the electricity generation from the turbine up there, it still wouldn't produce enough energy to keep the lights on in most major European cities. It just doesn't. It doesn't have the capacity. It, it's the 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 energy produces. 
let's just say the effort to produce that energy is not efficient enough. It's extremely efficient in coal. It's extremely efficient in natural gas. It's extremely efficient in nuclear. Uh, I don't think, you know, I like the internal combustion engine. I think having a, you know, being able to fill up your, your, your vehicle with gasoline and basically drive up to 400 miles in any direction without stopping is pretty great. That's great for your freedom. That's great for your economy. That's great for everything. An electric car vehicle will not be able to do that remotely for probably decades, if ever. Uh, and so, you know, the the people are going to wake up when when pow when your power goes off for three days um, because we've we've taken coal plants offline, which is what we continue to do here. We're taking coal plants and natural gas plants offline, off the grid, and replacing them with energy that doesn't work. And so people's lights are going to go out. Uh, when, when that starts happening on a wider scale in the United States, I think you're going to see, I would hope to see a political revolution and get people in, that will Im implement policies that reverse this complete madness that makes energy more expensive, less reliable. That's that well, you can't, you can't run an economy. You can't live that way. And it's uh, eventually it's, it's going to smack everybody in the face and there might be, there might be riots out there for that. Yeah, you cannot you cannot base your your energy uh, infrastructure on renewables, but you can have it complement you know your your base load. But what they're doing in Germany and many other countries is they are getting rid of their primary you know energy uh, you know production units and they are replacing them with with like we said uh, uh, green energy uh, renewables that are not yet ready to sustain those you know populations and those economies. Uh, Chris, let me just break it to you. They're never going to be ready. Let's be real, folks. <laughs> this idea that they're going to get more efficient and more, uh, you know, uh, whatever, uh, more efficient at producing energy. It's it's, right, it's plateauing. Right. It's never going to get there. But anyway, right. that's a subject for another story. Yeah. Um, the uh, so Jim, you already kind of teased this, the, you know, all of this ludicrous stuff and the outcomes that are very predictable. We've been talking about them for a long time on this show. Isn't uh, too crazy to drive off uh, a lot on the left, politicians on the left here in America. We just heard yesterday that there seems to be an agreement in the Senate to move forward with an ambitious climate bill. So yeah. we'll probably talk about this more next week, I assume. I haven't had a whole lot of time to dig into this, but uh, is there anything you want to say about it currently, Jim? You talking about the uh, the Build Back Bolshevik Light <laughs> bill that uh, that uh, Joe yeah. Manchin said he would support? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just seeing the summary that was sent out, I pulled it up here on my own screen. So uh, this this bill, which they're called, it's again the gaslighting. I can't take it. The name of this <laughs> the name of this bill is called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. <laughs> All right, it's beautiful. Great. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm, so then you can very much expect it to do the complete opposite. That's, Abs that's the rule of thumb when it comes <laughs> to legislation. 100% yeah. correct. Affordable yeah. Care Act, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so, so the, the bill says it's going to, the total revenue raised will be $739 billion by instituting a 15% corporate minimum tax that's supposed to raise 13 uh, $313 billion. There's going to be prescription drug pricing reform that will somehow raise $288 billion. Um, they're actually giving the IRS another $124 billion to help uh, increase tax collection. If you, and if you think they're going after people like Elon Musk with those extra IRS agents, I have, I have some swampland in uh, Alaska to sell you. And, uh, but then the, then the total investments is $433 billion of investments. And there's the air quotes again, 369 billion of these investments is for energy security and climate change. And then uh, they're, they're, you know, extending the Affordable Care Act for another $64 billion. And they claim to be reducing the deficit by $300 billion. <laughs> so at a time when inflation is at a 40-year high, at a time when we have just experienced a real recession, and there is a very strong possibility that we could have three straight quarters of negative GDP, uh, that's certainly within the realm of possibility. Joe Manchin said when he was rejecting this nonsense, this boondog of spending all this money on, on climate change and, and renewable energy projects and all of that, 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 are, that will never work, that will be really expensive and make Democrat um, some big Democrat donors very rich by taking your money and giving it to them for these boondoggle projects. But he had said that if, if uh, he'd have to look at the inflation numbers and look at the economy, I don't know if I could get behind spending mm. what is now, you know, uh, half a trillion dollars, just like that. He, he said he couldn't get behind it if the inflation and, and the economy was still bad. Well, the inflation is still bad. The economy is even worse. And he still signs on for this. But he this this guy, Joe Manchin, he said, uh, 
he says, quote, I support a plan that will advance a realistic energy and climate policy that lowers prices today and strategically <laughs> invests in the long game. Uh, he says that this bill will ensure American energy is affordable, reliable, clean and secure. We need to balance all of these critical energy priorities uh, is no longer open to debate. Uh, given the energy threats we face. And in his statement, again, he is Joe Manchin, senator from West Virginia, where coal is king. He says that this these historic investments will allow us to, quote, decarbonize our economy. So he is still, you know, he is still on this idea that we have to decarbonize our energy uh, energy grid, which means going to this wind and solar uh, nonsense. And maybe, I suppose, nuclear, although, you know, again, if the environmental left was serious, about uh, reducing CO2 emissions, they would just try to get as many nuclear plants built as possible, but they don't want to do that because they don't want it. They actually don't want reliable, cheap energy. Reliable, cheap energy is terrible. It allows people to live well and enjoy themselves and have happy lives. They don't want that. And uh, this bill right here, this, this, this dedication to continue to decarbonize our energy grid is still a recipe for complete disaster. So, you know, $300 billion or so thrown away on these boondoggle clean energy projects fantastic so yeah that's yeah. that's what well, yeah that's probably the main reason i'm such a, a such a crummy mood today to be honest yeah you know it, it's that that statement annoys me because renewable energy again air quotes it's not cheap it's not clean uh it's not reliable and it's not even renewable so I don't, again we could do an entire episode on that maybe we will one day i don't know yeah he, he's trying Manchin, <laughs> trying to sell it by saying look we can't just instantly uh convert to wind and solar and other renewable energies we have to do it slowly we have to you know wean ourselves off of fossil fuels the idea of weaning ourselves off of fossil fuels is is wrong in the first place we don't need to do that and so i'm supposed to be happy that he is yeah. trying to bring some reasonable policy to this complete nut job, you know, green New Deal garbage. No, I'm not happy about that. And yeah. uh, they're, they're, and Kristen Cinema, by the way, she's the other, you know, maverick Democrat senator out there. Uh, Chris and I were talking about this this morning. It's like she has not committed to voting for this. Everybody thinks that Manchin was the one they had to get on board and then then they can get their way on this one. Kristen Cinema said, you know, I'll have to read the bill first. Uh, you guys haven't actually written it. So once you do, <laughs> that's a, that's uh, I'll a good, let you know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good practice for politicians. Yeah. You should probably read the bill first. Yeah. So uh, who knows? I, I, maybe it's maybe it'll die anyway. So well, we'll you know, you, you know, Donnie, what's what's so you know sad about this is that, uh, you know, we just got you know word that uh second quarter gdp was negative today and on the same day they announced that they want to go and spend a bunch more money and tax corporations taxing corporations will exacerbate our economic crisis oh, sure. because because you know a bunch of corporations have uh, recently released their earnings report including walmart and it it was really bad and a bunch of corporations are saying that this was even before this uh, 15% tax was, uh, you know, put out there that they were probably going to have to uh, increase prices, raise, uh, yeah, raise prices, uh, 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 put less money into research and development and probably uh, uh, lay off uh, labor force. So this is just going to increase that. Right. It's, it's right. just going to make it's just going to make our well, current economic situation much worse. Well, Ford, Ford is Ford is laying off eight thousand workers, mm -hmm. um, and to start building electric cars, you would think okay. you would need more people to build electric cars instead of. But no, they said because we are we're going to be building electric cars, and that we want to have a. I think they Ford has this ridiculous goal: sell your Ford stock now. They want <laughs> they want to be building. That's not financial cars. advice. That's not yeah. financial advice. <laughs> That's not financial advice. But they are they are dedicated to building maybe exclusively electric vehicles by twenty thirty five, and so. But so, so they've laid off 8,000 people. Uh, I think Walmart just, I saw a story yesterday. Yeah. Walmart said that they're starting to, to increase their prices on a lot of places. Yeah. And so, you know, corporations don't actually pay taxes. People pay taxes. When a corporation's uh, taxes are raised, they pass that cost on like all the other costs to the consumers. So, you know, so already inflation is bad and it's going to be worse. Yeah. And when it comes to these car companies, they aren't making those decisions based on consumer sentiment. They're making those decisions based on uh, policies put forth by the, by the administration. You know, like when they say you must, you know, uh, have your average miles per gallon for your fleet, you know, at such a high level. These car companies, in order to, for them to stay in business, are, are doing the bidding of the government. So, like, you know, most people do not want electric cars. OK, most people do not want to buy them. They are way too expensive. They're unreliable. 
And, you know, there aren't nearly enough power, uh, you know, charging stations, especially in the rural areas of this country. So, right. we, you know, these these companies are not making sound decisions based on, uh, you know, what the consumer wants. They're making, you know, stupid decisions based on what the government is telling them to do. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's stick on the theme of these terrible climate change solutions for a minute here, uh, because I've got a whole nother slew of articles to kind of gloss over before we get your takes on it. But there's been a rash of interesting articles brought to my attention regarding the West's attempts to fight climate change by destroying our agriculture sector. So we've talked in a past episode, maybe it was about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, about the situation in the Netherlands and in Sri Lanka. Uh, where the governments are destroying their agricultural sectors in the name of fighting climate change. The Netherlands severely restricted nitrogen emissions on farms, which resulted in farmers having to go basically out of business. This resulted in nationwide backlash and protests. In Sri Lanka, the government banned chemical fertilizers overnight, which crushed food production in the country. This led to economic collapse and the government completely uh, falling apart. And in the midst of a global food shortage, you'd think our wonderful leaders would learn from these mistakes. No, of course not. Oh, they want to do it too, apparently. That's funny. <laughs> I, got, I got Chris to laugh. So a Bloomberg article, Trudeau spars with farmers on climate plan risking grain output. So this, uh, this is you know Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, former World Economic Forum Young Global Leader is pushing a plan to for the country to cut fertilizer emissions by 30%. So reading from the article, the government is proposing to cut emissions from fertilizer by 30% by 2030 as a part of a plan to get to net zero in the next three decades. But growers are saying that to achieve that, they... Uh, may have to shrink grain output significantly at a time when the world is scrambling for more supplies. Also at stake is an estimated uh, $10.4 billion that farmers could lose this decade from reduced output. Quoting, uh, quote here, if you push farmers up against the wall with no wiggle room, I don't know where this will end up, said Gunther, whatever, president of the Western Canadian Wheat Growers Association, which represents growers who farm about three million acres. Just look at what's happening in Europe and in the Netherlands. They've had enough. Uh, so then the article continues saying production losses could be significant. According to an analysis commissioned by the Fertilizer Canada, Canada could lose over 160 million metric tons of canola, corn, and spring wheat between 2023 and 2030 due to this plan, according to the report. That's nearly double Canada's expected grain production this season. So, uh, yeah, again, in, in a time when we're having food shortages globally, What's what's uh, Prime Minister Trudeau do? Oh, let's just slash in uh, our, our food production. That seems like a great idea. And in addition to this new plan by the Prime Minister of Canada, I have uh, links in the show notes to a program in the U.S. introduced by Joe Biden, uh, the Joe Biden administration, to, quote, uh, that pays farmers to leave land follow. Uh, part of a broader government-wide effort to cut greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030. The new initiative will incentivize farmers to take land out of production by raising rental rates and incentive payments. The goal is to add 4 million acres of farmland to the Conservation Reserve Program, which takes land out of production to blunt agriculture's environmental impact. And lastly, I have a link to a UK Gov website promoting a similar plan, offering, offering lump sum payments to encourage farmers to retire and give up their farmland. So, Jim, I mean, I'm not left speechless too often by these plans uh, by the left to fight climate change, but I don't even know what to say about this. So take it. So take it. Because I, I seriously don't know what to say. It's it's. It's insane. It's it is insane. It's uh, I, I I am almost speechless as well. I mean, you have to wonder. <laughs> right. We're we're looking at what's happening in in Sri Lanka. Their 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 prime minister, who is lucky he's not his former prime minister, who's lucky he's not dead, 
in 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 previous times or another or another times or maybe slightly different circumstances, his head would be on a pike for purposely banning all fertilizers just like that to go green. Bragging in articles was it was it the United Nations that had published it or maybe the World Economic Forum? World Economic Forum. World Economic Forum publishes an article by him uh, saying something to the effect, you know, we are we're leading the world, we're and we're going to become richer and better, and this is the plan to basically go fully green. And it's been in a, a complete societal collapse in Sri Lanka. Um, again, the, what, look up the video of like the, uh, I think the prime minister's residence palace, really, that's how they work in some of those countries, uh, being overrun. There, there's drone footage. It looks like, it looks like a swarm of ants, you know, you know, try to, it, it's, it's just unbelievable. Never seen anything like it. Um, it's certainly not in this country, but you know, you have to start wondering, do they really want uh, fewer people on this planet. And is the easiest way to do that is to make it so that there we accidentally starve about a billion people. You know, you, you, you have to ask that question because this doesn't make any damn sense. Um, farmers will tell you, there it is. Yeah. Terrific. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. <laughs> that video right there that Andy pulled up. Good job. But you know, you, you can't feed the world by banning fertilizers, you know? And so they know this, you only have to look at Sri Lanka and see that it's like it's not going to work uh, for Canada to basically, you know, starve themselves or, or to, you know, help contribute to what is going to be a global food crisis very, very soon uh, by banning fertilizer. It, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all unless you actually want to cause this kind of, of suffering. And I, I'll, and I will guarantee you all this. Justin Trudeau is not going to be missing any meals. He's not going to be eating, you know, bug burgers. Uh, he's not going to be, you know, trying to ferment some kind of uh, my microbial protein that he will drink to stay alive. None of these people will have a single aspect of their very cushy, wealthy lives affected at all by any sure. of this stuff. It is to make the rest of us pay for their ideological madness. Yeah, I mean, Chris, we we rail on all of these uh, energy proposals, these uh, these policy proposals to reduce energy consumption and all of that, and shift over or whatever, and and that's all just terrible too. And we we talk about the importance of energy being the the uh, master resource and the cornerstone of any civilized society and all of that. But like to see them going after agriculture and food production in the name of trying to curb CO two emissions. It's mind-boggling to me. What's your reaction to this? Um, yeah, I mean, my my reaction is is I, I'm you know speechless as well. But uh, the first thought that comes to my mind is okay. So to stop global warming, we're gonna have to starve billions of people. I mean, right. come on, give me a break. Uh, you know, Justin Trudeau has no idea how you know farming works. No idea how the agricultural sector works. No idea that fertilizers are totally necessary for uh you know modern modern farming to function properly and you know it's 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 just it's so frustrating that uh you know these these you know elites who are completely out of touch with how you know the economy functions and how you know everyday canadians and everyday americans like actually you know you know do their jobs and you know feed feed the people and they just you know Put these diktats from uh, you know above, and and we're all going to pay for it. We're right. all going to pay for it, but they aren't going to pay for it. That's what's most frustrating. They should be accountable for their horrible decisions. You know, when you see them going after this, and you see it ramp up and start going after agriculture, then like all of these stories of like, oh yeah, they want us to eat crickets and stuff, don't seem that crazy. <laughs> I will say that uh, just recently, a couple of months ago, the largest um consumer grade cricket manufacturing plant opened up in Canada. So uh you know just just you know just putting that out there. I'm not suggesting anything, but if you do go to the World Economic Forum website and look up crickets or insects or whatever, you will find a ton of articles uh talking about the benefits and of shifting our protein intake to more of an insect-based diet. Just one of one of the quick thing on this. I saw just a really saying. good I saw a really good interview with uh, the former agricultural minister of one of the provinces of Canada last night on this. And he was making the argument that this is actually an attack on private property. And what the uh, Canadian government is trying to do, and the same thing happened in Sri Lanka and the Netherlands, is the government is literally trying to force farmers off their land. So right. 
I, I, I do think that this is, you know, not just about the fertilizers and, you know, uh, climate change and all that. This is about control, control over over the land. And yeah. it makes me wonder, you know, what they what they are going to do with that land. But then I also hear where uh, Bill Gates is buying up, you know, thousands and thousands of acres of, uh, you know, farmland across America and even China is buying up thousands and thousands of acres of farmland here in America. And in many cases, they're doing it, uh, you know, adjacent to uh, Air Force bases and other uh, strategic outposts. So, you know, this is, I think, a multifaceted issue. This is not just about uh, containing, uh, you know, carbon emissions from, uh, you know, farm equipment and such. This is a there's there's much more at play here. Yeah, Bill really? Gates, 270,000 acres of, of farmland. Yeah, why, why doesn't anybody ask him, why are you Why are you buying up all this farmland? He, 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 wants, he loves being on TV. He's interviewed by, yeah. by a news agency around the world, it seems like, once every other week. Why doesn't anybody ask him about, uh, hey, what's the deal with all this farmland you're buying? And, and another and- thing... Go ahead. Oh, and 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 he's you know constantly pushing you know these meatless diets and these uh, meatless you know alternatives. So you know there's there's a economic incentive for him here as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, something that I think a lot of people are just kind of waking up to is the idea that China is buying a bunch of of farmland and real estate here in the United States. <laughs> you know, so you'll see you you know it's not easy to to find it's not hard to find the such stories that detail all this stuff. But when I first started seeing those stories, I'm like, wait. Why? Why would anybody allow China to buy property in the United States at all? <laughs> it's crazy. It's insane. There right. should be, you know, I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big, uh, there should be, a, there ought to be a law kind of guy, but there ought to be a law that your biggest economic and perhaps military rivals should not be allowed to buy real estate in your own damn country. And we're not talking about Chinese citizens buying up. These are no. communist party aligned uh, companies. And right. in, in Florida, there was a, uh, uh, a bunch of transactions with uh, straw men who were, you know, posing as middlemen on behalf of the Chinese government. And uh, Ryan DeSantis announced that he's going to like he's going to look into that because that is illegal. That wow. is illegal. Yeah. You know, I think I think a lot of that, a lot of this, the land grab thing you're talking about, the kind of the consolidation of farms is to kind of better centralize all of this. I mean, we've talked about the Great Reset and how the Great Reset uses these giant corporations as a way to kind of get their agenda across without having to go the legislative route. And that's easier when there's fewer and larger corporations that are in control of all of these different industries. Farming would be a, another example of that. Yeah. And a, as all of our constant listeners should know by now, I'm very interested in the work of the World Economic Forum and their promotion of the Great Reset. Read all about it in the uh, wonderful newish book here, The Great Reset, Joe Biden, The Rise of 21st Century Fascism. But besides the Great Reset, well, one of and- the things... And let's let, I'm sorry, real quick, but let's not forget that Joe Biden was the one who was talking about big meat and how terrible it is that there's only, you know, what, four or five like giant meat processors. So uh, why is he further centralizing these uh, agricultural? Uh, it's a good question. Just, it's a good question. Doesn't, doesn't make sense. The rhetoric doesn't meet the, uh, the actual <laughs> yeah. practice there. Uh, so besides the Great Reset, one of the things that the World Economic Forum is most known for, in conservative circles at least, is the article once published on their website titled, Welcome to 2030, I Own Nothing, Have No Privacy, and Life Has Never Been Better. So they took the article off their website a while ago, but the internet never forgets. And to be fair, uh, this article does get conflated with the idea that the World Economic Forum's official position or goal for the future is this idea that you're not going to own anything. I've done enough research to know that that's not the case. However, if you do look (laughs) through their website, you will see a number of articles and papers, etc. that do seem to support this idea. Yeah, see, that one's on Forbes. That's not on their website. They took it off their website. So anyways, a new report by them, still available on their website for now, is the biggest piece yet, uh, biggest piece of evidence yet that they support this controversial position. In a in this report titled, Three Circular Economy Approaches to Reduce Demand for Critical Metals, the author starts off saying, we need a clean energy revolution, and we need it now. But this transition from fossil fuels to renewables will need large supplies of critical metals such as cobalt, lithium, nickel, to name a few. Shortages of these critical uh, minerals could raise the cost of clean energy technologies. Um, so, I mean, we've been saying that for a million years, so it's not a surprise that they finally caught on to some of that. 
So the author questions, you know, should we mine more? Maybe. Should we recycle more? Maybe. But these solutions don't go far enough, the writer writes. A circular economy is, a much, is much more than recycling. It is keeping materials at their highest value. It is time to look beyond circular materials. The, uh, these three mindset changes can help reduce demand for critical metals. So I only want to, you can read the whole article, but for the sake of time, I'm only going to focus on the first one. The first solution here, go from owning to using. So it says, be honest, you likely have one old mobile phone tucked in the bottom of your drawer, possibly unused hard drive taking up space too. You aren't alone. The average car or van in England is driven just 4% of the time. While most already have a personal phone, 39% of workers globally have employer-provided laptops and mobile phones. This is not at all efficient, uh, resource efficient. M um, more sharing can reduce ownership of idle equipment and thus material usage. So it goes on and starts talking about sh car sharing platforms. Some of them where you literally apparently own separate keys and you can go and use that car when somebody else that has that set of keys doesn't use it. But I would also assume that Uber and Lyft and those types of ride sharing things would also fit into this model where you don't own the car. It's shared. It's part of the collective. And uh, and then it also says right at the bottom is that uh, basically we have to start embracing these ideas and that we have to start redesigning cities to reduce private vehicle ownership and other usages. So this fits in so perfectly with this idea of in the future, you won't own anything. You're not going to own your own car. You're going to borrow it or maybe rent it or just get a ride sharing thing. So, uh, you know, I can go on all day talking about the different facets of this, whether it's um, housing market and the idea of us becoming a renters rentership society or or any number of different uh, 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 things, products that you would borrow instead of uh, instead of actually own. There's a whole litany of things that they talk about on their website there. But um, I don't know. What, what do you think about this? Uh, go to you first, Jim. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a hard no. For me, uh, <laughs> on all of that, you know, and what's you know this, you know these oh, uh, you know we shouldn't be using cars. Those those kind of scolding articles just kind of trigger me sometimes. It's like you know oh yeah, I actually I, there's a <laughs> the drawer right in front of me. There actually is an old uh, there's an old phone in there. I probably have three or four <laughs> old phones that are in drawers that will never be used again. Right. Um, you know so, uh, so you know my answer to all that stuff is so what. Uh, screw off. Uh, I'm going to buy a new phone. If I want a new phone, I'm going to own my own car. If I want to own my own car, uh, you know, these, 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 but th I guess the benefit of this is that at least they're at, for now, there is an attempt at persuasion. I don't find the arguments very persuasive, but at least it's an attempt at persuasion. Sure. What we are seeing and what we've actually been talking about this whole podcast is that eventually these wacky, crazy ideas move from persuasion to compulsion to then punishing you and maybe even jailing you for 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 violating what they consider the new norm or the new you know the the new way we have to run things and live our lives because it's and that that journey from persuasion to compulsion is getting a lot shorter than it used to be. Well, uh, and and it's not just governments that are doing this. And we've talked about this in the podcast as well. When you employ the pro the the uh, the private sector corporations to enforce your policy preferences, if you know basically the environmental left's policy preferences, then we have moved to fascism. Then it's not actually a persuasion or a voluntary uh, decision on your part. Everybody has to be made to live a certain way, and it's and that certain way is always less enjoyable, uh, less prosperous. Uh, and everything. So, so, you know, that journey is getting shorter, but at least in this case, these nutty ideas are just, you know, proposed in an article. Yeah. Proposed in an article. But uh, as you see at the bottom there, that uh, we need to start redesigning our cities to reduce private vehicles and other usages. So, you know, those poor saps in the city, they might not uh, have to be, uh, um, you know, talked into doing this. They, it's probably going to come down to coercion at some point if these world economic forum people have their way. And I will say like, the idea of you owning your own car comes with a whole bunch of benefits. Uh, the idea of just like mobility whenever you want, uh, as flexible as you want. I can go to the store at three o'clock in the morning. And I don't have to worry about whether or not my shared car is going to be there. All sorts of different things. The freedom of transportation that that comes with, uh, all of that. And when somebody else owns it, when you don't own it, who makes the rules? Not you. Somebody else does. So, uh, you know, I always talk about, you know, because I like movies and TV and all of that. 
And, um, you know, when the, that rash of like, we're going to take down, we're going to take down movies, uh, and, and, and TV shows that are found to be offensive for one reason or another, they can do that. And now me as a, as a subscriber to like Netflix or some streaming service doesn't have access to that anymore. I would have, if I owned the physical media of it, the DVD or the VHS or something like that. But now mm-hmm. that I have to rely on somebody else's, you know, access to uh, somebody else's server, you know, Netflix's server to watch something, they control that content. They can alter it at any time they want. They could take it down any time they want. And the same thing goes for any of these other products that I had talked about. If you're living in a house, uh, if you're renting a house, that you don't make the rules. The, the 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 landlord makes the rules, and there is very little stopping a landlord from saying that when you're living under my roof, you can't have a gun. Doesn't matter what the Constitution says. A landlord can make that rule. So that's that's the world that we're venturing towards in this. Uh, you know, in the future, you don't own anything, and it scares the crap out of me. Chris, I'll give you final words. Yeah, I think that you guys, you know, hit the nail on the head. And I would just add to that, that this is classic collectivism and not to mention uh, the tragedy of the commons that this would, you know, guaranteed, you know, ensure. So I'm a big fan of uh, private property rights. And uh, I think that for the past couple hundred years, uh, we have shown that free market capitalism is, uh, you know, much more advantageous than collectivism. However, we just keep going back to that, you know, that well of, well, we can do it right this time if we just put the right people in charge. Exactly. Just get those policies right. Nope, not going to happen. It's counter, it's counter to human nature. Yeah. The, the only collectivism I like is collective opposition to all this nonsense. So that's right. That I can put up with. All right. Well, I want to thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of the In the Tank podcast. Uh, If you're listening to the audio only version, I just once again want to encourage you to check out the live version of the show every Thursday at noon. Join us on Rumble or Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. Join the conversation. Throw your comments and your questions in the in the stream there. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Please subscribe, write a review for us on iTunes. If you're on YouTube, YouTube, hit that subscribe button, share this content, hit the like button, leave a comment under all of these things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from reaching more eyes. If you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter at in the tank pod. And if you have any comments, suggestions, questions for the show, feel free to email us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst for the organization on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Heartland.org and stoppingsocialism.com. Fantastic. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of, I got hairy legs. Oh, that God. turn that 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 turn uh, um, blonde in the sun, and the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight, and then watch the hair come back up again. They looked at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap, and I've loved no, kids jumping no, on the my show. Lap. And the show, yeah, <laughs> it's please, terrible. Before you-